0: As we go to open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, give us the grace of your Holy Spirit, that your word may be faithfully preached to the honor of your name and the edification of your church. Help us to receive your word with the humility and the obedience which it deserves. And hear us, for we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John chapter 14, and we want to think about this text in connection with our statement of faith, I believe, in the Holy Spirit, which we're going to consider this evening, and we want to think about Jesus' promise here to send the Spirit to his disciples. So we're going to read from John's Gospel, John chapter 14, beginning at verse 16 and reading through verse 27, and let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. May he bless it to us. When we began our consideration of the Apostles' Creed as we went through the Heidelberg Catechism, we acknowledge that the Creed is divided into three parts. Uh, The first part that talks about God the Father and our creation, the second that talks about God the Son and our deliverance, and the third that talks about God the Holy Spirit in our sanctification. And we've come now after going through the catechism and thinking much about the the word, the work, and the and the, the names and the The person, and that's the word I'm looking for, the person and the work of Jesus Christ, um, as it's laid out in the catechism, uh, we come to the Holy Spirit. And we know that each person of the Godhead is important in the work that he does. Um, And all of them together make that one great God that we worship and adore. Um, But we spend a lot of time thinking about Jesus, and it seems as if the Holy Spirit gets one question. Um, and we, we might say, is that right? Um, some people might say that's just to be expected of a Reformed church. No room for the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, Pentecostal churches are filled with the Holy Spirit and we give short shrift to the Holy Spirit. How do, we, how do we think about that? Why do we only have this question? Well, one of the things is the Holy Spirit is behind the scenes of everything that happens. Um, one one of the things that we find in Scripture is so often it's because the Holy Spirit is speaking that he speaks about other things than himself. The Holy Spirit loves to speak about the Father, and he loves to speak about the Son, and he sometimes is not so concerned about speaking about himself. Uh, sometimes we have those blessings in scripture where it will say, you know, the blessing from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord, and we can be tempted to ask, where is the Holy Spirit? Uh, why, why isn't it a Trinitarian blessing? Why only two of the persons mentioned? Um, and one of the things that we understand about the Holy Spirit is actually we wouldn't be able to know any of those things were it not for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. If you think about it, those words of blessing that are contained in Scripture, we would not have had the Holy Spirit not given them to us. We would not know who the Father is apart from the Holy Spirit. We would not know the Son apart from the Holy Spirit. We would not have the Word of God apart from the Holy Spirit. Think of all the things that we do in church that depend on the Holy Spirit. Who issues God's call to worship? It's the Spirit speaking in His Word. Uh, When we read a portion of a psalm to call God's people to worship, whose voice are we hearing? It's the voice of the Spirit calling us to worship. Whose whose voice do we take up in response to that call when we, we respond with our vow? Our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. That's the Word of the Spirit. When I say, take up your psalters and turn to a psalm. And who wrote the psalm? The Holy Spirit. They might say, are you picking on hymns? You are a Godfrey, after all. We know that that's a congenital problem with Godfreys. Um, No, when you pick up a hymn, the Holy Spirit wrote the hymn, too. The Holy Spirit gave the knowledge to compose the music. The Holy Spirit gave the knowledge to compose the poetry. There's nothing of human knowledge or wisdom that's not the product of the Spirit. There's nothing in our worship that's not the product of the Spirit. Um, who speaks when the pastor speaks the word? He reads the word of the Spirit. Who carries him along in speaking? It's the Spirit. Who takes what we say in weakness from the pulpit and brings it out in power? It's the Spirit. See, the Spirit is everywhere in our worship. Uh, we would have nothing without Him. And so it's good for us an occasion to think about Him in particular, even though He likes to point us away from Himself to everything else, to point us to the Father, to point us to the Son, to think about Him and how much we are dependent upon Him. Um, I've loved and used this quote with you before, but Herman Vitzius, a Reformed theologian, puts it this way. The Holy Spirit of God is the author of all human wisdom, and in particular of that spiritual and saving knowledge which makes us Christians. Since we stand indebted to him both for the scriptures from which we know all things, and for the opening of the eyes of the mind by which we know them. Which leads him to conclude he cannot be seen but in his own light. He cannot be known or acknowledged but by his own kind and gracious agency. He's the light by which we see everything else. It's wonderful to think we would have no word if it weren't for the Holy Spirit. And we would have no understanding of what's in the word apart from the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is crucial to all that we do, all that we know, whether it comes to things in nature, things that we know um, that we would say in this common realm that God has made, all of that knowledge comes from the Holy Spirit. Uh, Job said in Job 32.8, but it is the spirit in man, the breath of the Almighty, that makes him understand. That makes him understand what? Every, anything, everything. There would be nothing without the Holy Spirit. Um, that's why people called John Calvin the great theologian of the Holy Spirit, because he saw the Holy Spirit behind everything. Um, He says, why does your doctor know what he knows? The Holy Spirit has allowed us to know that. Why does the scientist know what he knows? The Holy Spirit has allowed him to know that. And that's why I said we can look to the things that even unbelievers have learned and accomplished and see the truth of God revealed there and understand it was the Spirit at work, not in a saving way, but just in the general revelation of the world. But we are particularly indebted for the Spirit to know anything spiritual, that the Holy Spirit, as someone has said, is responsible for that spiritual and saving knowledge which makes us Christians. We are indebted to the Holy Spirit. Our life came from him. Our spiritual life comes from him. It is sustained by him. And he is the only hope we have of being like the Lord Jesus one day. Is that he promises to sanctify us and to conform us to his image the Holy Spirit guides our development of our lives in Christ, makes us faithful in good works, and leads our lives to its destiny. Uh, we could not consider a better subject uh, than the Holy Spirit. And so what do we want to think about about the Holy Spirit? The Catechism wants to draw our attention to two things in particular, uh, that the Holy Spirit is true God and that the Holy Spirit is truly ours. And that's what we want to think about this evening. The Holy Spirit is true God, and the Holy Spirit is truly ours. That's the glory of what we we see, particularly in uh, John 14 and that witness that Jesus gives to the Holy Spirit. Um, What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? Well, the first thing we believe is that the Spirit with the Father and the Son is eternal God. As we think about all of the things that the Spirit does, we can become sort of blown away by the activity of the Spirit and to think of all that He has done and to marvel at all of He He has done. And why is He able to do all that? Because He is true God. Um, He is true and eternal God, co-eternal with the Father and the Son. Um, It's easy for us, I think... We have some analogy for a father. We have some analogy for a son in our own experience. Uh, the Holy Spirit is a little different. We don't have so much a good handle on the Spirit, uh, particularly when we call him the Holy Ghost. That seems to make it even more disconnected from our experience. Um, the Holy Spirit is more difficult maybe for us to understand. And one of the things we have to come back to is the fact that he is also true God. I mean, how do we know from the word that he is True God. That's been debated by some people. Is is the Spirit true God? And we want to say, no, the Spirit is true God. We know that He's true God from the the divine names that are given to Him. Um, He is referenced with divine names. One of the, the classic passages that we go to defend the deity of the Holy Spirit is Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. And Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled with your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. You have lied to the Holy Spirit. You have lied to God, he's told. It shows us that the Holy Spirit is accorded that divine name. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3.16, we read, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Again, the Spirit being given a divine name there. So we say the divine name is accorded to the Holy Spirit. um, And also divine honor is accorded to him. When Jesus gives the Great Commission and, and instructs his disciples to go out and baptizing, how are they to baptize? In what name are they to baptize? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He is equal and co-equal and co-eternal God with the Father and the Son. Divine honor is accorded to his name. Paul says in Romans 9.1, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. Um, Only the Holy Spirit as divine God can bear witness to the truth. Only God can bear witness to the truth and the Holy Spirit is accorded that divine honor. We see that finally in the blessing that Paul gives at the end of 2 Corinthians. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Uh, The fellowship with God is the fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Um, One of the great authors of the Heidelberg Catechism was Caspar Olivianus. A lot of people will say Zacharias or Sinus did most of the heavy lifting. He was the theologian in the group. Uh, But Olivianus was also helping him, and he was the pastor. He was the preacher. And so I think a lot of the... The pastoral tones and the, and the preaching flourishes, we can thank that it wasn't just a theologian working on it, but a theologian and a preacher working together. Um, but he said of the Holy Spirit, Caspar Olivianus, since he is true God, I place my trust in him as I do in the Father and in the Son. And I am confident that he will work out in me, who is devoid of all good, all that he has promised in his word and on account of which he is sent by the Father and the Son. I can trust in him to do his work every bit as much as I trust the Father to do the Father's work and the Son to do the Son's work. I can trust the Spirit to do the Spirit's work. And that's so important because what does Jesus say the Spirit's work is in John 14? Who does he say he is sending to his disciples? He's sending them a helper, right? One who will be a helper. And you probably have a footnote in your Bible that says there are different meanings to that word helper. And probably if you've been in church for years, you've heard them all. Um, what, what could this possibly mean, this notion of a paraclete? Um, well, some people said that can be a professional legal advocate, sort of like a, a lawyer, Only one that people like. Um, If you don't know, I was a lawyer. If you're a lawyer here, I'm not intending to offend you. Um, Just sharing the facts. (laughs) Professional legal advocate, right? A counselor, we might say, as the NIV does. Or an advocate, as the New Living Translation translates helper. Um, Someone who comes alongside and encourages is another way this word can be taken. The King James Version calls him a comforter. Uh, That's a wonderful way to think of him. Um, But I I like that the ESV has chosen helper. Because helper captures the sense of he who helps those who are in need of assistance. Um, when, When Jesus is going to leave, what will the disciples be? They will be servants of God in need of assistance. What are we in this world we are servants of God in need of assistance. If there's anything that we need in this world, it's a helper. Uh, it's a helper. And that's the promise that Jesus leaves his disciples with. The spirit who I send you will be a helper. Will come to you in your need and will help those who are in need of assistance. Um, And I think that is right, as Jesus is saying, I am going to depart, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will send you a helper. And he tells them about this helper. He doesn't just say he's going to send them a helper. He says, I'm going to send you another helper. Um, That's good news. They're getting another helper. Helper. Now, that implies you've had one already, right? Boys and girls, if I say, I'm going to go have another ice cream cone, it means I've already had an ice cream cone. Maybe someone should say, maybe you should dial it back. One is enough. That's parent's job, usually. But you know what? When you get older, you can have as many as you want. Um, That's just (laughs) free advice. (laughs) But, you know, if you say, I've had one, and I can have another. You can only have another if you've already had one. So when Jesus says, I'm going to send you another helper... Who's been their helper? Jesus has been their helper. Jesus has been the one helping those in need of assistance. Um, when, when Jesus says, I'm going to send you another helper, what is he trying to communicate to them? This helper will be like me. It's not a strange kind of helper or a helper you don't understand Or a helper you don't know. So much of the work of the Holy Spirit in our day is attributed with all kinds of strangeness. All kinds of weirdness. And Jesus is saying that is not it at all. He's saying the helper that comes is going to be another kind of helper. The kind of helper you already know. He's going to be a helper like me. I'm sending you a helper that's like me. And how is that helper, a helper like Jesus? Well, he is a divine helper. He will, I will ask the Father and he will send him to you. Well, who had the Father sent them? He'd sent them Jesus. And Jesus is saying, the time is coming for me to go away so I can be your helper in heaven. And so the Father is going to send you another helper to help you here. Another divine helper. That's good news. And not a helper that's unknown. But a helper that's known. He says to the disciples, you know him. The world does not know him. But you know him. Um, He is in you and will be in you. That's the promise that Jesus gives to them. Um, this is not some strange helper with whom you're unfamiliar. Right? Jesus is not saying, I'm gonna, you know me and I'm going, and then I'm going to send you some complete stranger. But what, what is the comforting word that Jesus gives them? He's a helper you know. He's a helper who's been with you and will be in you in power. But you know him. He's the helper that dwells with you. How did, had John begun his, his gospel? In talking about the word who was made flesh and came and dwelt with them. Who tabernacled with them. Here he speaks of another helper who will come and tabernacle with them. Another helper who will come and dwell with them. You see how he over and over again is trying to tie the work of the Spirit to Himself? To assure them that just as they love Him and desire Him to be with them, so when the Spirit comes, He will be for them like Jesus? Also a truth giving helper? Jesus has just said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. And what has He promised? The Spirit will be. That he will be a speaker of truth. Right? These things Jesus says in verse 25. I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit. Whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Um, he will teach you the truth. I am the truth and he will teach you the truth. He will bring into remembrance everything I said to you. I think that has a particular function for John's gospel because John is one of the gospel writers who forever saying, you know, Jesus said this and then later we remembered that he said that. Jesus did this and then later we remembered that he did this. Who brought that into remembrance for them? It was the Holy Spirit who brought them to remembrance the things that Jesus had done so they could learn something about the significance of what Jesus has done. So they could be brought into truth by the Holy Spirit. He still does that for us today. Um, When we are meditating on some need and we have a Bible verse that comes to mind, when we are contemplating on something, you know, some anxiety that we are dealing with and a comforting Bible verse comes to mind. It's the Holy Spirit who does that for us. You know, maybe we can, we almost sometimes are too reformed to say, the Holy Spirit led me to, to consider that. Um, but if if you are downcast in soul and suddenly the verse comes to mind When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Who has brought that to our remembrance? Uh, It's not speaking a new word to us. It's shining light on the word that's been spoken. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's bringing light to what's already been spoken. It's not a new revelation. It's not some new kind of prophecy. But it is light on the word. And that the Spirit delights to do. To shine a light on the word. To bring to remembrance and to bring to understanding that word. And that's why it's to be comforting to the disciples, not just the disciples that are there hearing the words in John 14, but to all disciples of Christ in all generations, that the Holy Spirit is not only true God, but that he is truly ours. That he's given to us. Um, we say in the, in the catechism, secondly, that he is given also to me. So that true, through true faith, he makes me share in Christ and all his benefits, comforts me, and will remain with me forever. The Holy Spirit is given to us, to each of us, by the Father, through his Son, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is given to all of us. Um, that's what Jesus taught us. That's how he taught us to think of the, fa- of the Father, as the one who sends the Spirit at the request of the Son. We see that repeatedly in Scripture. Acts 1.4, and while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Acts 2.17, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Jesus says in verses 16 and 17 of our passage, that will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. In our passage, verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. The Father sends the Spirit. And how do we know that we have the Spirit? That's been a confusing question for people. Do you have the Spirit? Have you had the second blessing? Have you spoken words in the Spirit's name? Then you know you really have the Spirit. If you don't do that, you don't have the Spirit. All this confusion about how do you know whether you have the Spirit. It's interesting um, we can actually boil it down to a very simple understanding. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Then you have the Spirit. Um, You have the Spirit if you believe in Jesus Christ. The Spirit is not given through some extraordinary experience or some extraordinary thing that happens that you can tie to. As one person said, he's given through an ordinary means The ministry of the gospel. Where the voice of God speaks to his people saying. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That if you believe in your heart. And confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. You will be saved. And no one does that but by the spirit. It's impossible to do that without the help of the Holy Spirit. Um. Again, Olivianus, the, the pastor who helped write the catechism, says, he appeals to Galatians 3.2 and says that answers the question of where the Spirit comes from when Paul is saying to the Galatian people, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And that's a rhetorical question there. He's not really asking for an answer. What he's saying, of course, you receive the Spirit by hearing through faith. Because the next thing he says is, having begun by hearing, are you now going to work it out by the works of the law? Having begun one way, are you going to now go a different way? He's saying there, when did you receive the Holy Spirit? How did you receive the Holy Spirit? How did you become a possessor of the Spirit of God? It was by faith. By hearing that word, that call to come to Christ that you responded to in faith. That you trust yourself to Christ to do what he's promised to do, save your soul. If you've done that, you've received the Spirit. That, that's the only test. That's, that's how you know you've received the Spirit. It's not by some kind of second blessing or some extraordinary manifestation of the Spirit, faith—ordinary faith—is an extraordinary manifestation of what the Spirit has done. Right? We—if you say ordinary faith, you—you're you, sort of missing right that it has to be worked in us by God. It's a gift of God. Um, it's only by the Spirit that you can say Jesus Christ is Lord. And believe it and trust yourself to it. Paul says something similar in Ephesians 1.13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When you believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. True faith is the great gift that he communicates to us that we might believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and through faith become possessors of all the other benefits? How do we know that the Spirit has been truly given to us? It's by true faith. 1 John 4, 2, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Um, And I harp on that point because so many people are unsettled by that question. Do I have the Holy Spirit? Um, And God wants you to know that you do. If you believe in His Son, you do. And you have not only faith, but all the blessings that comes from Christ through faith. It's not just that we have the Spirit. We have faith. That would be blessing enough to know Christ. But through true faith, we confess, He makes me share in Christ and all His benefits. They all become ours. Um, through true faith, the Spirit has made you a partaker, not just of Christ, but of all his benefits. All the things that are his. I love how one person put it. If through the Spirit we are Christ's, whatever belongs to Christ belongs also to us. He took upon himself what was ours, while we had nothing but sin and misery that he might make us sharers of what is his. To be conferred on us by the Spirit, who takes of the things that are Christ's and gives them to us. John 16, 14. Christ says to us, as the Father said to the Son in the parable, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. Lord Jesus, all thine ours. Shall we poor, insignificant men and women become partakers of all thy treasures and of all thy unbounded riches of thy grace? Why not, Lord? If through thy spirit thou thyself art ours, why not also all the things which are thine? Um, If you have Christ, you've already got the greatest thing. Why would it surprise you that with Christ, God gives you everything else. And really there, he's just, he's just paraphrasing Romans 8.32, isn't he? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The Father gives us the Son and all things with him. And the Spirit unites us to the Son and all that is his. He gives us true faith and through true faith gives us Christ and all of his benefits. But he also comforts us. That's also the particular work of the Holy Spirit. To comfort us. To provide us with a sure seal of God's love for his people. Again, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. He's the down payment of what's coming. He's the seal that assures us God's promise is reliable. He makes it official. He's he's the first payment of that down payment of the riches that are ours. Um, And that's for our comfort. To note if we've received that down payment, we will certainly receive the bulk of the payment, the rest of the inheritance, uh, when it's God's time. He will comfort me, and he will remain with me forever. That's the wonderful good news about the Spirit As a helper. Jesus says he will come. He will make his home with you. He will be another helper. He will be another divine helper. He will be another truth speaking helper. But he will be with you forever. I will give you another helper. I will ask the father. Verse 16. And he will give you another helper. To be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth. This is Christ's guarantee to the elect that once his spirit is given, he stays forever. The spirit does not tabernacle with you for a time and then leave you. Uh, Just as Jesus says, I give them eternal life and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So he says, I give you the Holy Spirit. And when that gift is given you by the Father, he will dwell with you forever. He is a helper who will never leave. A helper who will never forsake. No matter what assistance you need, he will be there. He will not leave you. Um, We believe in the perseverance of the saints because of the Holy Spirit. Because he will promise to do, always do what he's promised to do. He will always unite us to the Lord Jesus Christ. He will conform us To the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will speak to us the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. He will be with us forever. Um, This is a wonderful promise. To know that the grace of God will always be there with us. In the person of the Holy Spirit. Attending to our souls. And he will preserve us. Again, this person was helpful. His counsel cannot be changed nor his promise fail, neither can the call according to his purpose be revoked, nor the merit, intercession, and preservation of Christ be rendered ineffectual, nor the sealing of the Holy Spirit be frustrated or obliterated. Um, that's actually Ken Zadort, the fifth head of doctrine, Article 8. Why do we believe in the perseverance of the saints? Because we believe in the permanence of the Holy Spirit the third person of the Trinity who is always with us to help us. And those who possess this guarantee in the Spirit will certainly one day acquire the possession of Christ's inheritance, all things that are His, to His praise and glory. It's an awesome thing to know that the Holy Spirit is true God and that that true God has been truly given to you and to me, and that he dwells with us, and that he will be with us forever. That's the peace that Jesus leaves us with. That's why he says his peace is not like the peace of his day. Right? That was how people said hello and goodbye in Jesus' day, peace be with you. Um, you know, sort of like we say, how are you doing? No one ever stops to answer the question, How are you doing? How are you doing? No one, right, we say, How are you doing? Nobody really seems to care. And people was like that in his day. Peace be to you. Peace be to you. Go on about your business. What does Jesus want his disciples to understand? I'm saying peace to you, and I don't say it the, wor- the way the world says it. When I say it, I give it to you. That's what he's driving home in verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. It's not a wish when the Lord Jesus says peace to you. He says peace to you in the spirit. That guarantees peace to you. That's why he says I don't give like the world gives. And when I speak that peace in the spirit you should not let your hearts be troubled. Uh, Because the true and living God dwells with you and will be with you forever. That's the peace the Lord Jesus has left us with as he ministers in heaven. Uh, It's a wonderful thing to say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Um, One more quote. Again, from the pastor, Olivianus. I believe that the Holy Spirit, as true God, will work those things in me that He promised to everyone who believes, as His names also demonstrate. He is the water springing up in the eternal life, and the water that will cleanse me. He is the anointing that will abide in us, and the seal and down payment of our inheritance. In all these names, we are promised that he has given to us to comfort us in every adversity, to support us in our infirmities, and to make intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, since we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. Thus, he becomes our true paraclete and advocate, who does not deprive us of his counsel and care, but himself pleads our case so that he might be in us and remain with us forever. In him I trust, and to him I hand myself over to be ruled, comforted, and renewed in the Father and in Jesus Christ, his Son, who make their home with us through the Holy Spirit. It's an awesome thing to believe in the Holy Spirit. May we all believe in him and have life in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, what can we do but thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, who is light and through whom we see light, who testifies to us of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Lord, we praise you, the great triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we pray that you would fill us with that hope that we have the Spirit living in us as our helper, as the down payment of our inheritance until we take possession of it. May we give you all the glory. Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.